over these last uh, few weeks, we've been looking at this series, Attitude is Everything. Thank you so much. Um, I've had so much great feedback um, from you, and, and it's been brilliant to see uh, it traveling out there as well, especially uh, last week. I know the talk on anxiety, uh, which you know has resonated with so many people, uh, not just here in our community or in the other locations, but out beyond that as well, and, that, and that's exciting and encouraging to know that. And hopefully, breaking the silence helps. As we said last week, if you don't break the silence, the silence can break you. And so breaking the silence on some of these issues is really important. And we're looking at a final one today, called, called, uh, looking at another attitude, and we're looking at the attitude of joy. And this question, how can we find real happiness? Can we really be happy, or is it just an illusion? And we've been looking at this incredible book that the Apostle Paul, now if you're newer to this whole faith bit, the Bible, when we talk about the Bible, all right, the Bible isn't a book. The Bible is a collection of books, 66 books. The first half is called the Old Testament. The second half is the New Testament. Lots of different people wrote lots of different parts of that. And one of the guys that wrote a lot of the New Testament, the second half, is the guy called the Apostle Paul. He wrote many of those books, those letters or books, from a prison cell. And this one that we're looking at, the book of Philippians, is written to a group of people, a group of early believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, in a place called Philippi. And chained to a Roman soldier, okay, day in, day out, not knowing whether he was going to live or die, not knowing whether he was ever going to get out of that prison or not, he wrote this incredible book. And in four chapters, we've looked at these four incredible attitudes that he talks about and that he exhibited in his life. We looked at resilience. We looked at humility. We looked at confidence. And then last week, we looked at contentment, the, one of the antidotes to anxiety. But underneath all of that, there is this attitude of joy. In fact, 15 times in the book of Philippians, Paul mentions joy either in its noun sense or in the verb sense of the same word. So the, the original word that he used in his original Greek language was chara, kara, and in the noun sense it's joy, in the verb sense it's rejoice. So whenever you look in Philippians and you see the word joy or rejoice, it's from the same word. And, and it literally means inner gladness, a delight, a deep-seated pleasure. There's a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart and that leads to cheerful behavior. And then I love this. It's a deep down sense of well-being. Anyone think we need that? A deep down sense of well-being. Yesterday as I was out with Simeon and Josh, my two sons, and uh, we were out yesterday afternoon, I had two calls um, well, actually, I had one call from someone in this church that said, would you please pray? It looks like my mother is about to pass away. Then when I got home, I had a text from a friend, friend of ours who was here last weekend from Ireland. And she said, would you please pray? I'm, I'm heading down to my mother's just had a, had a bleed in her brain. It looks like she's about to die. And when those kind of things happen, and they do, and they can, and they do, can we also have a deep down sense of well-being? Both of those ladies have because both of those, their mothers, know God. And that's incredibly important, isn't it? A deep down sense of well-being. Like, like, like the old hymn writer that some of you will have heard this hymn. Say, it is well with my soul. It ain't well with my life. It isn't well with the circumstances, but it's well with my soul. Let's, let's have a little look at what the Apostle Paul said. I'll just give you a few examples he says in, one, in Philippians 1, 3 to 5, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Next one. 
Well, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. That's the same root word. I have this joy and I'll continue to rejoice. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And then finally, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again because I'm not getting through. Rejoice. And it's like underneath everything, Paul's got this joy that travels through the whole book. And he says, the, the resilience is great. The humility is great. The confidence is great. The contentment is great. really important but underneath them all there's a foundation of this attitude called joy and we want to look at that this morning what is joy listen if you're not a Christian this morning and maybe church is you're all you're new to it and you know your mate brought you here you thought you were going somewhere else and and he lied all right and brought you here to church okay and you're like what, what your impression of people who are Christians is you ain't very happy The thing is, the church has a strange relationship to happiness and to joy. The church's view, historically, well, in in more recent times actually, has been happiness is an emotion and temporary. Joy is an attitude of the heart. Joy is what Christians have. Happiness is what everybody else has. That's been our view, okay? And it's like, if you're a Christian, you're not happy, but you've got joy really, really deep down. It's so deep, you've got a mind for it. It's so deep, it never shows on your face. In fact, you look like you're baptised in vinegar. That's the view that we have. We, and actually, it's not a view that is biblical, and it's not a view that much of the church had. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher a couple of hundred years ago, he said this, listen to these words, May your Christian life be fraught with happiness and overflowing with joy. Isn't that great? May your Christian life be fraught with happiness and overflowing with joy. You see, happiness is joy and joy is happiness. They are interchangeable. They're linked. The thing is, we don't get them from where we think we get them. That's the issue. And so I want to open this up for you this morning. What brings us joy? And in the words of Andy Stanley, who's a famous preacher in Atlanta, he says this, what brings us joy? No thing. No thing will bring us joy. I don't know about you, but when you read all those verses and what Paul was talking about, every time he talked about joy or rejoice, it was connected to a person. Two weeks ago, I had a brand new car. Woo! It's the first time I've had a brand new car since before I worked for the church. Okay, it's taken a long time to get to that. And I'm not really into cars. They don't really bother me. But I've had this brand new car and... Um, as, as I got in the car yesterday with, with Joshua and Simeon, I'm like, don't put your feet on the floor. Don't leave your wrapper there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Simeon started peeling off things. Don't do that. Don't touch that. And all of a sudden, I was getting really focused and I felt God said, it's just a thing. You will never get deep joy from a thing. You might get a little moment of pleasure, a little buzz. That's fine. Enjoy it. You'll never get deep joy from a thing. Your joy is not in a what. Your joy is always in a who. Always in a who. And for Paul, it was people and it was his love for God. Never a what, always, always in a who. I don't know about you, but anyone lose things easily? Anyone lose keys? 
I know, I feel your pain there, Lord. Just let it out, let it out. Wallet, phone. It's a friend of mine who will remain nameless because I've already exposed him last week, so I don't want to do it again in the second week running, if you, if you have the talk. Cinema Friday night, picked his phone up, took it out for him, walked out, he would have walked out cleaner. Anyone like that? You know, the easiest thing you and I will ever lose is our joy. The easiest thing we will ever lose is our joy. You can lose your joy with one email. You can lose your joy with one text, one Snapchat, one Insta story. You can just look at something and you can lose it like that. You can lose it with a conversation with your doctor, with your boss, with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your friends. You can lose joy in a moment. What causes us to lose our joy the most? I've been thinking about this and Aware of so many of your situations right now. I don't, I'm not aware of all of your situations or anybody who's watching or listening to this. But, but I'm aware of some here in this room. I, I, and I, I've tried to boil it down to two big things. And I think it's boiled down to this. What steals our joy the most, where we lose our joy the most, is number one, disappointment. Disappointment. It's as simple as that. The Bible says in this, in this book called Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, uh, uh, where you've had an, uh, an appointment that you should have had and you've missed that appointment because it's been deferred. It's, it's a disappointment. And, and it should have happened and it hasn't happened. And there's many of you here in this room uh, and you're in disappointment right now and it's stealing your joy. But you know, there's something else that steals our joy. And I want to mess with your head a little bit on this. I'm going to go a little bit um, into strange waters here for this. But this is something really interesting. I want to suggest that dryness also steals your joy. And I'm going to use a really strange verse. And I know some of you who are Bible theologian scholars out there may well get all over me on this one. Don't worry too much about it, okay? Because I think what I'm saying at the end of all this is true, all right? It's just a really interesting verse. Look at this verse in Luke chapter 11. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places. Seeking rest and finding none, he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. Now hold it up there for a minute. Now we don't talk much about unclean spirits and the devil and all that, but we do believe in a spiritual dimension, uh, a God uh, and the Holy Spirit. We also believe in the enemy, the devil, whatever you want to call him, and, 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 and demonic activity. But isn't it interesting that in John 10 verse 10, Jesus says the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy and he's referring to the enemy of our souls, referring to, to, to the devil. And the one thing he wants to steal more than anything else is our joy. How does he do it? Well, an unclean spirit goes out of man and he goes looking for dry places. Seeking rest and finding none. If he finds a dry place, he can rest there and steal your joy. Isn't that interesting? Could it be that the enemy of our souls does his best work in our dry places? Let me open it up a little bit more to you. You don't have to be mean to be dry. You, you know, no, nobody, nobody wants to work with dry people. You understand what I mean by dry, don't you? Nobody enjoys being served in a restaurant, you know, no, by, by dry people. You know, one of the reasons that I love going to America is that, is that there's such a different culture when it comes to, comes to serving people and have a nice day. I think that's great. And I know they don't really mean that. I don't care. I'd rather they say have a nice day and not mean it than just... Ugh. Do you know what I mean? Nobody likes that dry experience. No marriages are full of joy if they're dry. No workplaces are full of joy if they're dry. There's something about dryness which saps 
the life out of us. Could it be that when you and I are dry, that's when the enemy does his best work? And I've been thinking about this, and I reckon that every time I let the enemy get at me, I was in a dry place. Which is why it's really interesting that, Jesus, that, that the Bible says in Isaiah 12 verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That the Bible makes a connection between water and joy. And if you missed Encounter a couple of weeks ago, week last Tuesday, uh, Jane did an astonishingly brilliant job at, at, at looking at this subject. And she talked about Jesus in John 7, that, and that great feast which was all about water. And they were all doing this religious thing and they were going through the motions. Jesus screamed out, if any of you are thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being, streams of living water will flow. You see, it don't mean a thing you come into church if you don't come to Jesus. It doesn't mean a thing you come into church if you don't come to Jesus. Because we can come to church and we can go from church and we can be dry and the enemy can steal our joy and the enemy can get in and change our attitude and our outlook and the atmosphere around our life. But if we say, Jesus, I don't want to stay dry. I want your water. When we have that water, it's really hard for the enemy to do it. He can find nowhere to rest when we are not in that dry place. <laughs> Jesus put it bluntly uh, in the books of John and he says, in this world you'll have trouble. That's what Jesus said. But then he says in John 15, 11, I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So how do we live with an attitude of joy? And I think the answer is twofold. Firstly, there is a process that we can go through. And even if you're not yet a follower of God and you don't believe in the God thing, you can learn something and hopefully apply something out of what I'm about to share with you. There's a process that you can go through. There are things you can build into your life which will cultivate an attitude of joy. Do you remember like almost a year ago when we opened the building? Do you remember the opening uh, weekend? And we had that big party and I just still remember Iris Mack, our 81-year-old elder, dancing her heart away on this stage. Do you remember that? All the young people are coming here, you dragged me up and there was Iris as well. Just those moments. And you see, this is about joy. How do we cultivate joy? Firstly, you've got to cultivate a childlike mindset. You know, know, we get older, but we we can still have a childlike mindset You know, the Bible talks not about being childish, but about being childlike. And I think that's about being curious and being present. Do you know what I mean? And being aware of stuff and and just having a bit of fun. And life might be really tough, but in the midst of it all, we can cultivate joy when we cultivate a childlike mindset. I realized after last Sunday, something in the week, um, in some of my devotions this week, I felt God speak to me about about me, actually, and about the way I share about Simeon, our youngest son. And uh, as many of you will know, uh, he, he's got very complex disabilities in residential care. He goes through a whole load of difficult things. And last Sunday, I spoke about him having another epileptic fit and how that created anxiety for us. But God really spoke to me this week to say, you only ever share about the tough times. What about all the joy that he brings and has brought into your life? And I thought, oh God, you're right, which of course he is, because he's God, do you know what I mean? So there's that revelation there. Oh yeah, yeah, you do know what you're talking about. And and, and I just thought that I'd just share a couple of those things, because Simeon will always have a childlike mindset. That's one of the blessings that he's got in his life. Cognitively, he's about four or five in his head. He's now 24. He's built like a rugby player. 
He grows beards in 20 minutes. Okay, so like we pick him up one Saturday, he's got a beard. The next week he hasn't, the next week he has. It's just ridiculous. He's a really big guy. But in his mind, he's four to five. And I just thought back over our time together with him and just some of the really brilliant, beautiful moments where this childlike curiosity took the better of him. So uh, several years ago, he was at home. He was about nine or 10. And we had a couple around for something to eat. We were talking about their wedding coming up. And they came and they sat in the living room. And the guy got a completely bald head. And he was Jamaican as well. So it was a black bald head, very shiny, okay. And Simeon walked in and looked at this black bald head and was intrigued and walked out into the kitchen. About 15 minutes later, he came back and he got some sweets and he put a sweet on this guy's head and he sucked it off his head like that. It's like, what do you say to people who've come round your house? Do you know what I mean? Because you see, for Simi, he's like on the profile, autistic profile, he's sensory seeking. He's not sensory avoiding, he's sensory seeking. So he's always looking for sensory things. He finds mud everywhere, okay? And one of the singers reminded me, Claire reminded me about, he used to love, he still does, little babies. He's very gentle with babies, he's great with them, but he loves little babies. And one of the things she said is the first time she had, she had her son, Levi, and, and um, Simi saw him in church, Simi looked at this little beautiful blonde baby and licked him all up his face. <laughs> he used to do that in public, at Merry Hill, interesting conversations we had. And then I remember the time when um, we were on holiday uh, in, I think, Devon or somewhere like that. And there was, we went onto this beach. And on this one particular day, there was a whole host of ornate sandcastles which had been built all along the stretch. Yeah, you know where we're going, don't you? You know where we're going. And I mean, they were so intricate and they got moats and they got turrets and they got all kinds of stuff. And I look and I see something glint in his eye. And I don't catch him in time. And he runs and he kicks every single one of them down. And there's me running behind him, trying to catch him, saying, I'm really sorry he's autistic. I'm really sorry he's autistic. I'm really sorry he's autistic. But there's just those moments of abandon, childlike curiosity. Do you know what? I want to keep some of that, don't you? I want to keep some of that. You know, maybe you're going through a really tough time right now. Go play with some food. Go and do something a little bit childlike. Because maybe in doing that, we can cultivate a God-given thing inside of us of joy. Hey, this is going wrong. This is tough. But you know what? God, you're still good. Life is still okay. I'm going through this thing, but this isn't the only thing. This is a thing. It's not the only thing. There's more things, and you're involved in that. Cultivate a childlike mindset. Sense of humor is important. Listen to this person says this. I've sure gotten old. I've had two bypass surgeries, a hip replacement, new knees, fought prostate cancer and diabetes. I'm half blind, can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine. Take 40 different medications that make me dizzy, winded and subject to blackouts. Have bouts with dementia, have poor circulation, hardly feel my hands and feet anymore. Can't remember if I'm 85 or 92. I've lost all my friends, but thank God I still have my driver's license. That's a little scary, but a good sense of humor as well, isn't it? Cultivate a childlike mindset. Listen, you don't have to be a Christian to do that. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, if you're watching and you're not a Christian, cultivate a childlike mindset. Secondly, cultivate a thankful mindset. The Bible often talks about being giving thanks in all circumstances. Not for the circumstances, but in the circumstances. 
You know, Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, the last meal he had with his mates, the Bible says he broke bread and he gave thanks. He knew that he was about to be betrayed. He knew he was about to be arrested. He knew what was ahead, but he gave thanks in the circumstances. And we're going to do that together later as we finish our series and our time. We're going to take communion together. And I want to encourage you, give thanks in the circumstances. Thirdly, cultivate a serving mindset. You know, in the UK, there were 40 different studies taken recently, last few years, on the connection between joy and happiness and serving other people. Really interesting findings. Said this, if you volunteer consistently, not just a one-off basis, you're more likely to experience the following. Less depression, less heart disease, less stress, less chance of drug abuse. What's more, even if you serve consistently with a bad attitude, your results will be better than if you don't serve at all. Isn't that interesting? People who serve consistently have a greater self-esteem, live longer and have a better quality of life. Because that's how we were designed to be. We tap into joy when we tap into serving other people. Cultivate a hopeful mindset. You know, I I love the work uh, of Martin Luther King uh, and having been to Atlanta a couple of times and been around that whole thing. And just just, just in, in the midst of all that, the hope that was in a lot of his preaches and a lot of his uh, uh, speeches, a lot of the music that comes out of certain cultures, that hopeful thing that, hey, we're passing through something, but we're passing through. And the Bible says it in, in Psalm 30 verse 5, for his anger lasts only a moment, his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And even if it's a long night, we know that there's a hope because rejoicing comes in the morning. And finally, cultivate a perspective mindset. I I think this works at two levels. Firstly, we lose perspective over the size of our problems. And so you and I, maybe we get into the kind of hashtag first world problems thing, you know, when all of a sudden we've lost our phone and it's up here or we've got a bad hair day and it's up here and it's not really up here. We lose perspective over the size. But even when your problem is huge and is real, and is bad, and is big, it's not as big, bad, huge as God. You know, God is not scared of what you're scared of. You do know that, don't you? God is not scared of what you're scared of. And somehow we come and we cultivate joy when we cultivate a perspective mindset and we remind ourselves that as big though this problem is, it is not as big as God. It's not as big as God. And then we lose perspective not only over the size of our problem, but over the season of our problem as well. You, you, you know, when you're passing through an issue, you've got to keep reminding yourself, hey, we're passing through. We're passing. I love this verse. I love this verse. In 1 Peter 1 verse 6. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Say little with me, will you? Little. So you're saying, you're saying that, but this has been months. This has been years. And yes, it has. But still in the context of eternity, which is what these guys were talking about, because that was where their perspective was, it's a little while. And you see Peter saying, hey, you're going to go through some stuff here. But listen, you can cultivate joy because it's a little while. It's a season you're going to pass through and there's going to be wonderful joy up ahead. And even in the midst of what you're passing through, you can know that joy too as well. So I think that there is a process to cultivate in joy. And I think there are five things that hopefully will be helpful. But also there is a person when it comes to joy as well. You see, it doesn't mean a thing, as I've said, you coming to church if you don't come 
to Jesus. And Jesus often in the Bible said, come. He said, come if you're disappointed, come to me. He said, come if you're discouraged or defeated. He said, come to me if you're dry or if you're weary. Jesus invited us to come. And when we come to this person, we come to someone who in him we find ultimate resilience. In him we find the ultimate humility, the ultimate confidence, the ultimate contentment and the ultimate joy. So I want to invite you to come to him again today. I want to invite the band if they come back. I want to invite you to come and we're going to have some moments together and we're going to do what Jesus did with his mates on the last meal that they had. We're going to come around the table. I'm going to invite the servers if you could come out please. And um, we've got tables at the back and tables at the front and what we're going to do in the last 10 minutes is we're just going to have some time where we move around the room a little bit. And where we invite you to come and to take communion. If you're new to this and you think, whoa, this is going to be weird. It's not weird. And you are invited and you are welcome. Okay? It's just bread and juice. And it's symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus. And for us, our joy isn't based in our circumstances. It's based in what this celebrates. This remembers and celebrates the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we've got joy. That's why we've got joy. That's why we can be happy as well. Not because life is happy all the time necessarily, but because we know him and we can come to him. And I want to encourage you and invite you to come to him today. And you know, I don't know where you're at in your life. Maybe for some of you, you do feel dry right now. Then Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Don't allow that dry place to give access point to the one who wants to steal your joy. But come to me. Come to me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Just before we get up and move, just maybe just take a moment. Maybe let God speak to you right now. Maybe this is the first time you've been here. Maybe you're very new to it. Or maybe you've been coming here a long time. How's your joy? How's your joy this morning? Maybe you admit, can admit, like I have and many of us have, that maybe you're dry right now. You don't have to stay dry. Don't just come to church, come to Jesus. He's the one who wants to give you water, the water of living life. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you just can't seem to get over that disappointment. Come to Him. The Bible says, he, he, Jesus said, come to me, those of you that are weary, those of you that are weak, those of you that are heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. Jesus, I want to pray for every single person here in this room, anyone listening, anyone watching, where they are right now. God, I want to pray for your joy to hit their life. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that as they come to you, in this moment, that God, that you will flood them again with the water of life. God, thank you that in you, what we have in you is greater than what we don't have in the world. What we have in you is greater than what we don't have in our life right now. What we have in you, God, brings us joy. So Jesus, as we come now and as we celebrate, as we remember this incredible sacrifice that you did for us, May this ignite our joy again today. May we be people who are contagious as we head out into our world. 
We want to have resilient attitudes. We want to have attitudes of humility and the right kind of confidence and deep-seated contentment. But God, help us to have a deep-seated joy that doesn't stay deep-seated, but comes out to the surface. May we be carriers of joy in our workplace tomorrow, in our schools, in our uni, in our communities, in our factories, in our homes. May we be carriers of joy. May we be contagious with this attitude, I pray. And then maybe when others say, hey, why are you so joyful? You've got this going on and that going on. And maybe we could say, hey, I'm that joyful because I haven't just gone to church. I've gone to Jesus. So God, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.